I was like, and I've got Facebook pictures of her. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that she doesn't know. I- <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is why I oh. left Facebook, John, because of I- <laughs> people like you. <laughs> I. It's so weird though because I only stumbled upon those. I was like going through. I have like hard drives filled of like photos of me and my friends or whatever. For and I don't know what to do with because nobody looks at photo albums anymore. And there's just like you know me and my friends in our early 20s and also like from like high school and shit. I'm like. What am I gonna do with this? And then I found um, just weird, random like screenshots of like Facebook stuff, and two of them were <laughs> posts that you made, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And uh, but they're really not—they're uh, very inspiring. I'll bring them up later, but I love oh, them. Cool. I thought they were nice. Awesome! Can't wait yes. to see how smart I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I know it's kind of—it's kind of like a weird thing when somebody brings up something that you wrote a while ago on on a social media platform. You're like, none of this is good. <laughs> you know but what, what does surprise me is sometimes i read stuff that i've written and i'm like who wrote this this is really good like yes. where did that come out of me yeah I, that always it's it that's what makes the the creative process so interesting because there's some channel in here that just mm-hmm. knows way more than our kind of limited thinking self and right yeah. uh, it always gives me hope like oh i could do that again because i didn't i clearly didn't remember doing it the first time so it must still be possible yeah. <laughs> do you think it's like the immediacy of the thing you're thinking about plus the passion you have for it at the time and like being able to channel it through that yeah i i think there is this you know, channeling is a weird word for it, but I, you know, I think <laughs> creativity is, it, it's, it's coming from a place in your mind that's bigger than your ego. Your ego mm. is your conscious self and all of creativity. You know, if you're writing a project or working on something, you know, that it's, it's writing back here during parts of the day when you're like driving or you're going to eat lunch or you're making lunch or you're doing stuff like this. Right. If you're working on a project, it's always here. So it's some part of the psyche that, you know, is is just in motion, working on it over there. And then it comes into consciousness and then it dumps down into the pen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden you've written this paragraph and you're like, wow, I, I had that to say today. I didn't know that was even going to come. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Did you use that as a tool, do you think, maybe? like Because I, I know I've, I've either justified expressing rage on the internet as a tool for writing which i i think i did that a little too much but like there has been times where i'm like oh my god i think i put that in a way it's it's weird because i feel like when you post something and somebody has something else to say about it it checks your own bullshit in a way but at the time it can also reinforce um your belief in that thing because if i feel like if it's weak you have nothing to counteract it with but if it's a strong belief it makes you think about it in a different way and then write stronger yeah, I, there's so many different things that go on. I mean, Twitter taught me how to write a joke. Mm. I, I'd never been a joke writer. Or I wasn't a comedian or anything like that. But it taught me in 140 characters back in the day yeah. how to be really <laughs> uh, concise with my language, which is mm. really what joke writing is about, right? It's right. about putting things in the right order with the right rhythm and the right thing surprising the person at the end. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun to learn how to do that. 
And I think with social media, there's like all different ways we do it. Um, and I think some things we should not be sharing on social media if it's especially if it's creative work you know if you're still working on some stuff i know people used to test jokes on there and stuff and, and i think that's an okay way to go i mean with a, with a comic but you know i also think that there's always a precious time if you're writing something more personal that should mm -hmm. not be out there and letting people put their fingerprints all over it right you know or even hear it and see it so uh you know it's it's you know, but it is what it is. And yeah, of course, it is a great bullshit checker too, you know, because you sometimes I'll tweet something or whatever, and then I'll be someone like will come back at me and I'll like, oh yeah, I didn't really think that through, did I? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Let me think that through, and uh, I will amend in the future at some point. Yeah. But, but I, you know, but also the one thing I hate about social media is it doesn't let us be human and kind of yeah. have those moments. Everyone's like, oh, I'm gonna jam down your throat. And it's like, geez, would you do that to me in a conversation? If we were sitting at a table and I said something right. a little half-assed, really? Yeah. John would. I wouldn't. Uh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> you know what I was Good to know. No. <laughs> the the crazy thing is, is that it, it allows everybody to seem like their response is immediate because your thing that you posted hangs there forever, yes. and everybody else yeah. gets to look at it, let it gestate, and then oh, template, yeah. <laughs> And then they form this fully formed, thoughtful opinion, but it looks like it's immediate. And you're like, well, fuck, I makes me look like I didn't think about shit. But this guy over here, <laughs> I love what I love now that Twitter's gotten so out of control that people like literally like it is supposed to be such a short medium, 140 or 160 characters. But then they're like they finish writing what they're writing and they put one and then oh, it's yeah. like one of 38. And you're like, well, oh. I don't want to fucking well read they they added the little plus thing. So yes. you're like, add another tweet, add another tweet. And then one day I was doing kind of a longer one like that because I'm one of those mm -hmm. people. And uh, they were like, would you like to look at our, I don't even know what they called it. It was like some other kind of thing that you could, like a, not a blog post, but something like mm -hmm. our newsletter feature. And I'm like, newsletter feature? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm not writing a newsletter on Twitter. I know. I mean, maybe yeah. I am, but but thanks. <laughs> but no thanks. It reminds me of like, there's, there's not a, it's so weird because the internet is so unique at times, but oftentimes very homogenous. And the same with like, I remember uh, when I was a kid and I worked at the mall and like things started, like I worked at a bookstore and I worked at Suncoast Video, not to brag. Um, but I did the two <laughs> little, just, you know, humble brag there. Um, but I did the two. And then I remember like, you know, towards the end when all that shit was closing down, that one last go at surviving. And it was like, well, we're a bookstore, but we're also going to sell a rack of DVDs. And it'd be like, no, you can't do that. Like, and that's what Twitter tends to do too, where they're like, we'll make stuff longer. You have videos now. And it's like, oh, just be a thing. Just be a thing. Like, stop being TikTok or Instagram. Yeah. And those things on the top of my Twitter feed, I still have not looked at one of them and will not do it. A fleet. I will not yeah. do a fleet. Uh, and really, they called it a fleet. Yeah, I, yeah they did. They called Anima. it a fleet. It's the name of a goddamn enema person, people. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even think of that. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, my God. So how? I didn't even ask how you are. How are you? You doing all right? I'm good. I've been super busy. Uh, awesome. and that's great. And my brain is a little fried from it all, but it's, I've been in a really generative creative space the last two months, which has been nice. amazing and always fun to be. We were just talking about that in that flow of like, mm -hmm. Oh, shit's coming through me quick. Get the pen. It's coming out. In fact, it was coming out so big that I had like big newspaper pads and like writing in big Sharpies and stuff. And, uh, Ooh. 
Yeah, it was good. It was really good. So it's been really wonderful and about to go in a couple of weeks uh, to Jamestown in Chautauqua to visit the National Comedy Center. Nice. Oh, and, I haven't been. I wanted to go. Oh, yes. And to do our, our week of comedy at Chautauqua inside of their programming. We're doing a week. Wow. And uh, that'll be fun. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to actually travel and get there and uh, to see Jamestown again. I miss it. It's been, you know, didn't get to go last year. So, yeah. Yeah. Visit my, da visit my dad's stuff, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's is that kind of surreal for you to go there and have to and, and see all that stuff just kind of laid out there? It's all surreal. You know, yeah. if, if it never gets if it's never not surreal, I think I might worry a little bit i even tweeted about it last night that i was watching hacks and uh, uh they name dropped my dad and i'm still i said i'm still the giddy kid who like goes oh my god they just said my dad's name <laughs> you know and it's like and That's i like awesome. and i said to my husband you know he's famous <laughs> <laughs> because there's like a part of me like that doesn't it's just like he's my dad and this is my yeah. life or whatever and then it's like suddenly you're just watching a tv show and there's a goddamn picture of him on a wall in a comedy thing and then someone says his name and you're like that's fucking weird that's weird yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's got to be incredible that's awesome that you still have that kind of like childlike you know yeah. view of it though that's incredible I, I think my dad did too you know he was a person who was he didn't let he was never cynical about any of that and was mm -hmm. always fascinated by uh, celebrity, not, not his own celebrity, not like fascinated with that part. But I know like when I went to school, like I mentioned earlier, I went to uh, high school with Ed Asner's daughter and a mm -hmm. bunch of Hollywood kids. I went to this place called Crossroads, which was, um, you know, Hollywood central. And mm -hmm. my, I would, you know, I'd come home and have some kids and I'd say to my dad, Oh, that's what such and such as son or daughter. And my dad would be like, really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, that's so cool. You know? Oh, that's awesome. He was a starstruck. He was a starstruck kid too. I, there's an interview I remember. Uh, I, I don't. I must have been in high school, but um, I saw with uh, John Stewart and your dad. Yes. Um, and it was Ashton? an HBO special. Yeah. It was yeah. Like, the, I was at the comedy festival there. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and it was it was cool because he the way he talked about um, you know, a celebrity and kind of wanting to perform and wanting to do that. He did a he did have a very childlike view of it then too. And he's like, he liked being the center of attention and you know, he liked the older people would say, isn't he cute? It was all kind of just like, you know, living outside yourself and being amazed by the whole process, which which actually was kind of cool because, you know, sometimes you hear these people and celebrities kind of talk about what they do and it is very cynical. And it is very kind of like, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like or whatever. And he seemed to love it. Yeah, he, he, he did love it. And he also, I think it was always a big deal for him because he was that starstruck kid. At, um, and his big hero was Danny Kaye. Danny Kaye. And he, you know, saw Danny Kaye in the, on the big screen and said, I want to be him one day, you know, and that mm -hmm. was his plan was I will be, I'll become a DJ and then a stand up, and then I'll become Danny Kaye. And he sat out, he was about nine or 10 years old. He'd take the bus to Midtown and downtown and he'd go to all the theaters and big jazz clubs and sit outside and get autographs from like all the great jazz artists and wow. stuff. He was, you know, a kid in the, in the forties and the early fifties. And uh, he, he waited outside for hours for Danny Kay and in the rain and Danny Kay ignored every single kid who walked, who was waiting there for him. Wow. And my, and my dad vowed that if he ever got famous, he would never walk by a person who wanted an autograph or to say hello or something. And he really, he, he kept to that. He always honored 
that no matter what, no matter where he was. And I always thought that was a really, just a really human great thing because, um, you know, you're someone's idol and don't fuck it up. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. And that speaks to uh, literally anybody I've, I've, I know, uh, whether they've been doing stand up for 30, 40 years or, or like, you know, me about, about my age or whatever, who's met your dad said he was super kind, yep. took the time out, especially if they were a comedian. Yep. I think Liz Mealy, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it, I, I know he, she told me a bunch of stuff about him and then, um, yes. you know, another friend of mine who had met him and got to work with him and stuff just, you know, couldn't have been nicer. That always makes me feel good. Cause it's like you, you have these idols or whatever and you never get to, it was, I was always a little afraid to meet like standups that I had known yeah. when I was a kid. But then when you hear that they're awesome people, you're just like, well, that bucket makes me feel like amazing. Only uh, there's only, I've, I've had a bit of, I've, I've had a good run with like opening for like national headliners stuff where they've been pretty cool. Only one, uh, I feel like it was just a bad day, but like literally I got to the green room and the door was closed and I'm like, am I not allowed to, <laughs> and they were like, uh-uh. And I was like, I'll just hang in the kitchen. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know. I, I had a I had an experience at an event that was honoring my dad and met someone, and it was a and this person meant a lot to me. They were like kind mm-hmm. of my George Carlin, and they mm-hmm. uh, were just I think just maybe incapable <laughs> wow. of connecting on that level. Right. And I, you know, and at the moment it was a little jarring, but then I was like, yeah, you know, everyone's got their thing and everyone's yeah. a human being. And, um, and have heard from other people that this person is generally like that. So I was like, okay, all right. So <laughs> it wasn't me and it wasn't this. And I, you know, uh, but it is always a little shocking when you're like, oh, ew. yeah. But that took a lot from you to be able to realize that and be like, all right, they're not just an asshole. They're that they're just not able to connect with people on this level for oh, probably their own reasons. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I I think my general I have pretty, pretty intense empathetic skills and it was you know i can read a person pretty well and it was like okay some part of them just is not present (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is it is kind of like that sometimes when you meet people it's funny too because you don't you don't assume that because when they're on stage that's their moment to turn on yes and then and then you don't realize that literally every other part of their life is just off you're like oh that's got to be a hard way to live yeah um, I feel like people don't expect me to be like, I, I found that like just from being a comic or whatever. And for as long as I've been doing it, they don't expect me to be approachable. And then when they find out that I genuinely just like to talk and I don't shut up, they're like, this is a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> they're like We kind of prefer the distant ones. And I'm like, Hey, are we all going somewhere? What's going on? They're like, we're really good. We just wanted a well, photo. And, a fuck you. You know, and that's so funny too, because some comics have kind of, prickly stage personas mm-hmm. yeah. and I was like really like always nervous about meeting them and stuff and then I meet them you know backstage or in the green mm-hmm. room or something like that and they're just like just like a ball of gush like hi yes. nice to meet you and you're like what wait huh what huh <laughs> gotta yep. figure this one out gotta line this up now okay yeah. Bill, Bill Burr is one of those dudes I've met yes. I, I, I always yes, yes. I, I had a feeling totally you were thinking <laughs> Yes. I was like, because what I, I, you know, terrified, you see him, terrified yes, of me, me too, <laughs> me too. And then when I met him, he couldn't have been nicer. And I was, oh. my brain was like, and thoughtful and smart yeah. and lovely. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was also like that, like with, uh, uh, with, the, well, I was super young when I met, um, Colin Quinn for the first time we were backstage at Caroline's, yeah. but again, I, I assumed again. he was on a, you know, whatever. And 
wanted to know what I was doing. If I was a talk to me the entire time. And, th- and not only that, talk to me like I was, I'd been doing it forever because I told him, I think at the time I'll never forget. I, I was like, yeah, I, I've started at rascals in, in New Jersey or whatever. And then he was like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that place closed down. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, the guy got caught in bed. And like, we went to this whole conversation and, I, and for like half a second, I forgot that I was nobody. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's so great about that though, is that f- finding, you know, this, this hierarchy thing we do, right. Where we put mm-hmm. these people above us and then we find out that, Oh, really? We're just in some sort of a peer group with each other and they yeah. may have more time on a stage or this or that, but, but, you know, being a stand-up comedian is, you know, there's a, a lot more of them than there were 40 years ago. You know, yep. I mean, it's, it's insane how many more there are, yeah. but still it's a small percentage of the population that actually really, you know, especially paid comedians who gets up on a stage and gets mm-hmm. paid for it, you know? And there's, you know, there's just so much automatic understanding in that kind of a subculture. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something about when you realize you're, you're in the peer group and you'd start to look at yourself differently too. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm able to do this and, and I'm just a human being and that person's actually a human being and they're able to do it too. So, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to let that kind of guard down and just kind of, it, 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 I feel like it relieves a lot of like unnecessary tension just in yep. your performance and everything else too. I remember, um, did you know Carla above? No. He was Sam Kinnis' best friend. He just passed away actually recently oh. a few months ago. But I had mm-hmm. I knew him when I was younger. He let me open for him and stuff. And um and he was nice to me when I moved out to LA and you know had me come to the comedy store or whatever. And then um, but I remember me, him, and another comic, somebody who's not doing it anymore, but we were just talking about comedians and basically what you just said. It's a very unique experience to have. And Carl was doing this corporate gig and it was dudes that were i mean flying in private jets and they're you know whatever and but the line to meet him after he performed for them was so crazy ridiculous and it's because he had experiences that none of these other dudes had yeah no matter how rich you are no matter whatever a comic is a very unique it, it was it blew my mind when i was younger because i was like I didn't i didn't quite understand it and then after seeing that i was kind of like holy shit it really is a singular thing yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, if, if, if I always think about that, and I'm just like, oh my god, that's so fucking. Because every now and then, I'm just like, why would anybody care? <laughs> <laughs> I, think uh, that's a, I think that's a healthy thought, also. You know, right? like for any of us, like, really, why? Yeah. You know, does it really matter in the end? You know, but you uh, got to be able to get out of the bed and out of bed in the morning and 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 have some meaning in your life, you know, so you got to construct that meaning. But, but I think it's very healthy also to be like, yeah, like my dad would say, you know, like, yeah, in the end, you know, the planet's right. going to shake us off, you know, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. We're yeah. all worm food. Yeah. yeah. In the end. Yeah, we are. Oh, well, I love that you acknowledge that though, that there is that threshold of like, eh, what does it matter to, I'm not leaving this bed ever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Had, like a million yeah, times. I mean, over. you know, it, there is that question of like, well, am I living today or am I dying today? Like, it's kind Ooh. of a big, yeah, it's a big That's... question. Yeah. It's, wow. you know, and, and, and I'm a kind of I, not so much anymore, but for, for a long time and decades, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression girl. Right. So, oh, yeah. Staying in bed for five days and disappearing was an option for sure. Yep. Uh, and and now I get that it's that is kind of just like a, a saying like no to life. Like, yeah, I'm not going to yeah. participate anymore. And, you know, I, when 
part of what's changed for me and, and just, you know, in general is just a, my parents dying like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll wake you up. Yeah. In a good way. Like, yeah. Oh shit. Death's a thing. Like yes. it really actually fucking happens. It's not an idea in my head anymore. <laughs> These people I know and they're not here. So that yeah. like wakes you up. And, and it's like, you, you know, you really do see like, even, you know, even on the shittiest day, I'm still, a privileged white woman who lives in America, like, right. like, and I, and I hit the lucky sperm club too. So <laughs> the lucky sperm club. Yeah. As my the- friend called, that's what my friend calls it. The lucky sperm club. If you like are born into wow. you know, the lucky sperm club and acknowledging it, like that's privilege, I guess is the lucky sperm club. But, and, yeah. and so it's like, and like, and so like, yeah, so I'm having a shitty day and I acknowledge that or I have emotions or whatever. Of course, I'm kind to myself. And mm-hmm. uh let's get on with it. Like what what's you yeah. know what, what do I get to do today? Because it's all a get. It's all a privilege to be here. Right. It's a great way to look at it too, because I've known like I, I've dealt with the same thing with depression where I mean it, there's been a three year span where like and I remember the three three years exactly when they were whatever but i was like where the fuck did they go oh yeah you were sad as shit and did not you know and tried to pull myself out of it but it's it's just super fucking hard but the same way i feel like that's a coping mechanism right to tell yourself uh what am i gonna what 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 can i do today as opposed to whatever did it take you some time to learn that or was it something that grew stronger the more you applied it i i you know i think it's it's a mature uh, just a growing up also Mm. and there's, you know, there's clinical depression where there's chemicals that are really keeping you from being able to access something else. But the kind of psychology I studied, uh, which is Jungian psychology, the way we hold depression also is that it is, it, it is a communication from your, your, your larger psyche, right? And in some Mm -hmm. ways, there is, you know, that you know there is a season for everything right and some there's sometimes there's a season for a lot of activity and a lot of striving and a lot of grabbing and going and energy and sometimes i think a life a, you know this life needs to be like i need to disappear and maybe recalibrate a little bit you know and no right. one wants 3 years of their lives to do that but sometimes it yeah. takes that it takes the time it takes mm-hmm. and so you know we try not to pathologize the depression so much And I think for me, really, what it was, was that I wasn't honoring what I really wanted to do in my life. And so I was just tapping out, like, you Mm -hmm. know, if I don't get to, if I'm not, you know, and and I wasn't capable yet of really going for what I wanted. So I think I felt kind of, you know, stuck, Mm -hmm. a bit stuck, you know, and, uh, so, and it's just, it's so unique and individual for so many people, but I, I now know that I can also, which I, I didn't really buy into before, but I also know I can choose differently. Like I can have a shitty morning mm-hmm. and then I can do a reset and say, you know what, I'm just going to start over and I'm going to have yeah. a decent afternoon and begin again. And I used to be really ruled by my moods mm. and I've learned that um, moods are created by thoughts Mm-hmm. And we get to choose our thoughts. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people who, who follow that kind of thing where if one thing happens, no matter at what point of the day, the rest of that fucking day is ruined. So if something shitty happens in the morning, they think the whole day is gone. Yeah. And I've never, I've never 
that I feel like that's not the way like my depression usually works if I feel like I don't have a window out of like being stuck. Yes. Like if I'm cycling through shit, which I'm which I'm always thinking about stuff. But if my brain hits a wall and then goes, fuck, that's weird. We're going to circle back and try to get it out again. And if it's always there, then I like freak out and can't yeah. handle like I feel like there's no way out. Yeah. Um, I like the young. Do you uh, I always love the personality test. Do you uh, like do you believe the in that kind of thing? The typologies and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm an yeah. ENFP. Oh, nice. And uh, I, I, am what are you? An, I am an E, e N, F, J. E, N, F, J. But I'm right 50-50 on the E and the I. Okay. Which is interesting for me, which means I feel crazy half the time. <laughs> I'm like, leave me alone. No, please. Let's go hang out. Uh, but I really figured out during the pandemic, I am a bit more introverted than I thought I was. I'm, I was really enjoying the introverted part of it. Uh, and I think all of us kind of got in touch with our introversion. Oh, yeah. So I like, I like being in it. I mean, I, I'm primarily an extrovert, but over the years, like in my, in my 20s, there was no, there was nothing keeping me inside. I had like such a large group of friends that was like, if this particular section of that group wasn't available, then I would drive an hour and a half down yes, to wherever the like fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I would yeah. do it that way. And now like, like even so the pandemic, I liked, um, well, I think I learned to be, I think I was forced to learn to be alone. Like I think when I moved out mm -hmm. to like LA and stuff like that, I just didn't know anybody. I, yeah. I didn't have anybody. So of course, you know, you do the air mattress and the no air conditioning and, if that isn't exactly the right setup to kill yourself. Like there was like, there's no, like, I, I think I was, I was talking to Gary Goldman and I was telling him about, you know, going to LA when I was super depressed. He was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I know it's the worst time to A do it. Lonely city here. man. Uh, I did not see Bad. that coming. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Well, but you, you know what I love, what I learned about the extroversion introversion, which is to the way you figure that out is how do you get, rejuvenated and replenished and if you get mm -hmm. rejuvenated and replenished by being around people mm -hmm. then you're an extrovert if you need some cave time to get rejuvenated and replenished it means you're more of an introvert hmm. and and that's me i definitely need my cave time and okay. i think extroversion was a something i learned to be in order to kind of function in the world and survive and right. uh and, and to you know as we all do as kids, we, we learn, we learn strategies, right. To, to get yeah. through the chaos part. Uh, and you know, and I meet my, all my performer friends, uh, you know, people who are monologists or standups, they need to be in front of an audience six nights a week. And I'm like, if I'm in front of an audience once every two months, I'm good. Yeah. I, I understand that. I can relate to that. I, I love like the pandemic was a little too long to not be, cause I, I just, it was it was weird timing because I'd just gotten off the road. So I was out in LA and then went, you know, did the Midwest and then came back. And then the last day, literally the last day before they told everybody that you if you're in New York, you have it, or or and we're locking everything down was the day I was in New York and then got back to Jersey. And then they were like, You might have it. And I was like, wow. cool. Um, but I didn't mind in the bit like I there was I had to question certain things about my or I tried to in the beginning because I was like, I seem to function better when the world's ending. <laughs> well gee i don't know your show is called dystopia tonight <laughs> there's just a little clue in that right I you, love, you function well with chaos it's, oh, it's you know so, and a lot of it, us do i mean yeah we and were it trained was like, well 
Yeah, and I also felt like useful for a change because my friends who had not been inside or dealt with dep- or, or forced to be whatever, yes. they were like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, oh, you're sad. Let me help you. <laughs> this is an emotion. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I got this. We could work through this. This is awesome. And I was just, you know, I mean, again, like by, by like month four or five when I realized we weren't yeah. getting out of it anytime we soon. I was ready like, to kill, kill each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the nine o'clock hour we hit and I would just, anybody that was online, I'd be like, hey, where are you from? You know, like, just, <laughs> they're like, are you all right? I was like, no. Not <laughs> no <laughs> having a thing. Um, do you do you do you feel you know what's crazy though? Like I, even with like I mean Twitter is to me uh, other than people who use it professionally or whatever. I feel like it's a giant mental health issue for the most part that's just unchecked. But I also feel like because what was it is was it the sixties or seventies where they used to wear those buttons that were like um, I'm okay, you're okay. Was that a thing? That was a thing. That was a okay. Book. Yeah. I mm-hmm. yes. I feel like that almost happens now. And I kind of just want to be like, I'm okay. You're okay. That's okay. But only for a bit. <laughs> I feel like I want to add that. Cause I feel like people have really just, and, and they're not working on themselves. Cause I, yeah. I always try to be like, I don't want to feel this way. I want to get out of feeling this way. I want to be a functioning member of society and, and, and feel things or whatever. And I feel like there's a lot of people who just pull back and go, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I just don't go out and I don't see people and I don't funk. I don't, I don't do that. I have friends who can't order food because they don't like talking on the phone. And I want to be like, that's easily remedied. <laughs> it's, you know, but they're like, no, I just don't do that. And I'm like, and they won't order unless it has an app. And their, and their world gets to be about that big, you know, yes. and, they're, and they're missing out on 99% of life uh, yes. over, over a fear, which is all, constructed right. in their head you know yeah it's definitely a, a huge mental health issue uh yeah twitter's interesting i um i'm lucky for the most part i get i, I don't get a lot of that and um but i think social media you know because we're not in each other's presence and we're just kind of saying whatever comes to our mind mm-hmm. uh we're basically talking to ourselves out loud in front of millions of people, <laughs> but we don't have to be in their presence. So we don't have to honor the social code right. of being in each other's presence, which there's a lot that goes on when you're in someone's presence yes. about, you know, I'm not dangerous. I'm okay. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of cues that go on Good point. and we don't get that. we just get this writing and yeah. then it, and then it, it, if we read something and it kind of resonates with some kind of more primal or more, fucked up part of ourselves and we're mm-hmm. like oh okay mirror someone's mirroring that okay and then that just gets a voice and then before you know it you know you're in your victimhood or you're in your rage yeah. or you're in your whatever it is uh and so i and so i really like you know at the beginning i'd be like yeah, you get you get triggered into stuff like oh yeah let's all jump onto that bandwagon let's all yeah. jump onto that and it's just one big bandwagon and so now i just i've really this is where mindfulness and conscious mm-hmm. action comes in. It's like you feel the urge. You're like, yeah, let's pile on this shit. And then you're like, yeah. no, because in two hours, you're going to feel like shit for piling on <laughs> someone else. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal with all the crazies that are on, quote unquote, the side of the pylon. And then yeah. you have to deal with all the crazies who are on the side of the thing you're piling on. 
And now you're going to you're want you're going to want to have a more nuanced conversation, which is impossible yeah. on social media <laughs> because it can only be black and white. Yeah. So I just learned after a couple of those episodes to just pull away, mm. put the phone down, breathe, going to put the phone down, not going to react to that. Uh, if I care about an issue or something, I will find a way to be an activist with that issue. Right. Uh, you know, bitching about it or piling on on Twitter is not an activist action. Yes. It's just not. I completely agree. And it took me a bit of time to adjust to what to do and what, what isn't isn't like I wanted to have a voice. I do have a voice. I can do whatever I want on stage. I can do whatever I want when I'm on TV or, or radio or whatever. And then the same the Internet makes things a little bit more complicated. But at the same time, you know, there's a way to engage where you can pull away from something that you like, you can just leave a post and go, this is my opinion and fucking and walk just, away. Yeah, walk away or on Twitter. Now you have the option of like, you don't get to comment on this. Yes, exactly. I, I just recently one, like turned Facebook comments off. They're public and nobody can fucking comment. And I think that's the, the better solution too, because for the most part, one, it makes everybody seem famous. And mm -hmm. when everybody seems to have a platform, you're yelling at your 75 year old aunt who has no sway <laughs> because youth in, in your fucked up internet brain, you think that this is an opinion that is worth tearing yes. down when you're like, yeah. we just had dinner and <laughs> yes. she seemed fine then. And plus yes. she's going to give us the house eventually. So let's everybody <laughs> calm down. <laughs> it's a, it's such a, it's, but I've been that, that, you know, I've been sucking into that too. And recently, the other thing that happened to me, this, especially over the pandemic, man, it was these, um, there were a couple Instagram accounts that were like curating as they do comedians material and shit like that. And I've got a, you know, I've, I've always been politically active. I've gone to protests and all that other shit and been detained by secret service. That was fun. Um, and, um, that was, that was, I was 19 and it was, the, uh, the second Bush thing. I was and... a crazy young man. <laughs> Would literally do the same thing today. Second Bush. <laughs> I don't know. Who, who, who wasn't interviewed by the Secret <laughs> Service during that Bush term? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I still have the paper, and I love That's it. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's good times. Uh, but yeah, this this these accounts are like curating comics material or whatever. And for a while, I was getting they started making money, and I was like, you can't. Fuck it. But they had a, a large number of followers and also celebrity followers, which I'm like, yeah. how hard is it to fool a celebrity? But like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was like, first I was like, that's impressive. And then I was like, relax. Um, and uh, but but I was like, that's fucked up. Like, that's really annoying. And then I was like, well, your message is getting out there. Shut up. And at the same time, I was like, but do I want the fucking money from this? Shit? Like, yeah, like, it's, it was it. It was yeah. weird. It's complicated. It, got, it, yeah. it is. It's like yeah. it's the capitalism, you know it's always interfering in some way or another. And uh, I mean, I you know, know. we have to eat and pay rent. Damn it. Yes, ex exactly. And that's why I was like, you uh, literally the, the, the comic in me was like, I fucking want my money for that t-shirt. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it was we spent a lot of time trying to shut people down who want to borrow my dad's likeness and may, you know, stuff. And there's so yeah. many t-shirts out there. And we like, after a while, we just kind of, you know, we thought we were going to tackle YouTube at one time. And I'm like, guess what? But we're yeah. not. It's got a million hits. Yay. It's all new fans. Right. You know, there's, there's two generations that have discovered my dad since he died 13 years right. ago. Because That's of YouTube. Crazy. So, you know, and people all over the world. My dad, you know, uh, that was the most amazing. That was the when social media was great. Those first like, couple of, my dad died in 2008. 
like 2008 mm-hmm. to 2011, Facebook and Twitter were these like amazing places. And I was getting every day I'd get a DM or a message or something from someone like, hey, I'm in Iran and I discovered your dad. I'm in China. Wow. I'm in Russia. I'm in, you know, and I'm like, wow, this yeah. is cool (laughs) you know i'm so happy that this is happening and it's it's a that's the good thing about it you know and yeah if you own intellectual property it's it's tough oh yeah do you do you ever see oh sorry good oh no i was gonna ask because so youtube i find it's such a funny animal so they they don't demonetize the people that are using your dad's they do now yeah we we Mm, finally we got a in the right situation where we had someone sign us up for that like yeah don't let people do that (laughs) (laughs) you know shut them down you know so we can do that and and when so that that has been helpful but uh yeah that's good so hopefully now if they have a good i hope they have 10 million hits because that all should get rerouted to you at this at that point right if you have in the right catalogs yeah good point so tough right because it's art so you go like art is such a tough medium because i feel like comedic art is different than like a painting because now they feel like people have been pirating the word like you know the the spoken word like crazy yeah but yeah it's crazy i I mean especially with all these like there's my friends would ask me all the time because I would get a meme or something like that stolen where they would literally just crop out my name or like take the thing and I'd find them and go after them and they'd be like, why do you bother? I'm like, I one, I don't know exactly why I bother, but also because it's mine. I did a thing and they could at least just just yeah. give me credit. It's so I, weird. I think, my you know, my dad was that way too. Like people were always attributing this, um, oh, this I've seen horrible... That. I know, yeah something in time. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, always yep. attributing it to him because it was Carlin-esque sounding. And he just finally put a thing on his website, like front page, like this is not my thing and stop yeah. telling people it is. So he was like, rev- he was doing the opposite, like distancing <laughs> himself from a bad e- yeah. email meme thing. And then um, I would have fun on Facebook though. There was about three George Carlin Facebook groups. And I think I ran one of them and mm-hmm. um this is before I let I, I got sick of all of this and left Facebook. But um, yes. and I remember someone showing me a meme where they had taken my dad's whole thing about the ownership of America and removed the word business and put in the word government. So it was a conservative group wow. who turned his words around. Oh wow! And you know, and 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 his whole thing was like the politicians are owned by the businessmen. Yes, the businessmen are the fucked up ones, right? Mm-hmm. So they turned it all around on themselves. And so I just went into the Facebook group and I'm like, here's what's going on over in the Heritage Foundation group or whatever it is. Here's the meme. Go do what you need to do. And like <sighs> 200 George Carlin fans descended on this like Heritage Foundation group and just tore them 200 new assholes. Wow. It was so great. And I was like, for a moment, I was like, I am Empress Kelly. I have minions <laughs> that will go far and wide to defend my father's great honor and reputation <laughs> it was very heady for about 10 minutes but um but you know but then in the end it's also i i'm like you it's like i can't chase everything down right i can't correct everybody uh but i did take a little effort during the trump era to correct people a lot of libertarians who love my dad and stuff like yeah. that and i just wanted to correct them that no he would not be fond of donald trump he is the <sighs> epitome epitome New York white businessman narcissist. I mean, like right down the line. Yeah. No empathy. The whole thing. I was like, no, this is 
this is like the person might, this was like the antichrist to my father. Like, yeah. you don't get that by watching his material? Really? I know. People have such a warped fucking view. It, what, what, that, that's the thing. And it's crazy too, because there's so much out there about your dad and and just video clips, stuff like that. It's like, how do you misrepresent what somebody says but when there's so much material about what they've said? Confirmation bias. We hear yes. what we want to hear and it fits our preconceived notions. True. So that's what's fascinating about that. It's like, oh, I see you twisted that to make yourself feel better about that. Okay, I know. but letting you know, it's not what he meant. <laughs> are, you, <laughs> are you ever surprised, like, how well some of this stuff, like, there was a clip of him on uh, Bill Maher's show, um, not the Politically Incorrect, but uh, Real Time, and it's him and, oh, I cannot remember who the politician is because I don't care, uh, yeah. but he was he was, he was was really going on about the businesses and stuff like that and who the government's run by, whatever, but it, it's amazing because it holds up so, I mean, it's sad because it holds up, because you're like, wow, nothing's changed. But it's like he saw it in so many different ways back then. Does it ever just surprise you? Or you're like, no, like that makes total sense to me. Um, I think his gift was always blowing our minds. Like we mm -hmm. would see the new special. However, we did that. I would go to the, you know, he, my dad wouldn't show me any of his material before the new special. He wanted me to be in the audience and experience it like an audience member. Wow. And there was always one or two moments in the special where your brain would go, yep. you know, he would, he would fucking put in a perspective that you, you could barely wrap your head around. And it was such a unique way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And I think because he was so good at that, particularly around the cultural stuff, that it it doesn't surprise me that all of this that how prophetic he was and mm. that it certainly doesn't surprise me that um you know his audience was a certain percentage of the population a small one you know i mean people knew his name and things right. like that and would watch him on carson or leno or whatever mm -hmm. it was and or maybe they knew him from class clown and you know right. that kind of stuff but you know so his hardcore fans who really believed in him and 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 followed his logic are you know people who are kind of of a certain level of developmental thinking mm -hmm. and the majority of the population is not at that level yeah yeah <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that we are still struggling with all of this and even more so uh and um yeah it's it's you know and it's it is humanity too you know we are you know, what he was speaking in some ways were perennial wisdoms, you know, were, mm -hmm. you know, the reason that there were the seven deadly sins is because though all of those things are our Achilles heel as human beings, right? We are hardwired to kind of be fuck ups. Yes. And, and so we're still being fuck ups. And we're we've progressed a lot for in 2000 years, but right, we're still dealing with rage and greed and power over each other and hoarding and you know i mean all this stuff so you know it's just it's in a different kind of category but it's still yeah. the same impulses that we have to all individually check and collectively check
Right. I, I love that you said we're all still fuck ups because it brings me to the thing. One of the one of the screenshots. I think about this all the time, by the way. And I said this. I fucking shit you not. I said this too. You have no reason to believe me. But I did. As in spite of how uh, much I emphasize it by saying I shit you not. Um, but you you posted something on Facebook. I think it was like it got to be like five six years ago. Um, and it's uh, I'll I'll read it real quick. But it's perfectionism kills. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot Good. and it just but it's basically just perfectionism kills it kills dreams it kills adventures it kills the joyful participation in life hell it kills all participation in life life is a call and response game living life is participating in the call and response body hungers you eat child cries you soothe a city gets hit by a hurricane you help you have a vision of a scene between a father and son and you write a play but with perfectionism, we set out to interrupt the natural call and response cycle. We refuse the call. We fear the call. We ignore the call. Our perfectionism says I can't respond because I'll get my hands dirty. I'll take too much time. People will think I'm crazy or ugly or stupid or not good enough. Not good enough. I think about that constantly. And I love it. Basically, it, it was like I had saved that for so long. And uh it really, I wish it was like a message that, uh, is that, is that in one of your books or is that in a book or no, you just posted I, I it? Wrote it? I wrote an essay about it. Um, I was, had a podcast that I did very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about to rebrand it and, and move on from it, but it was, it's called waking from the American dream. Mm-hmm. All my, all my shows are up there. And one year, I think it was year four three or four of the podcast, I needed to challenge myself and I decided I needed to write a little essay for each episode, a little uh, 150 to 250 word essay. And so I wrote one called Perfectionism Kills and it's a little piece from that essay. Wow. Oh, I mean, I'm gonna have to find the whole essay because I, like that, I, I it was something that I couldn't at the time, I think I, I felt and obviously agreed with when you posted it, I st- stole it and saved it forever. Um, but uh, it's it's it crystallizes that feeling so fucking well. And then, kindly explains it away and and reasons Mm -hmm. why you should not listen to it Mm -hmm. and um it's it's so bizarre my friend is going through some shit right now and just hesitant about her own creative creativity and path or whatever and i quoted that uh i was like i was like i'm gonna say something to you and you're gonna you're gonna want to hold on to it and you blew her fucking mind Um, awesome what so was that so you did that specifically for that episode was that something that you've been thinking because i would love to know like uh, how in your own path you came to that conclusion yourself. Yeah, I <laughs> I had spent decades not being a creative because of my perfectionism. Uh, mm. My standard was if 10,000 people aren't stomping their feet and chanting my name, I have not succeeded. That'll fuck you up. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Oh my so, God. So I had this weird extra fear around a living up to that standard in mm-hmm. my in my head and believing that that's the standard I had to live up to uh, out in the world because everyone was going to be whispering behind their back, you know who that is. <laughs> and right. so it really, it fucks you up if you mm-hmm. let that be the thing that, that rules you. Yeah. And, and so as I started performing more and was doing my solo show that Paul Provenza directed with me and helped me develop and create, Mm -hmm. 
uh, I had to learn to fail in public. I had to learn to fail on stage, just mm -hmm. like stand-ups do every night. Yeah. And I'd never let myself fail. I was a kid who was rescued by my parents all the time. And then I just did things that it came really easily to me mm -hmm. so that I never would fail. But the things I really longed to do, like get on a stage and speak my truth and tell my stories, um, I didn't quite know how to do that. And I didn't know, I didn't understand the creative process was about, uh, you know, six, you know, successful failings. I mean, that's yes. really what it, it's all about. And, and I never, you know, as, as incredible as my dad was, he and I never sat down and had these conversations. I just saw him as a man who just was successful and never failed. Whereas he as an artist knew he was failing all the time. He was always hitting, <laughs> not hitting his own personal bar. Right. right. And so, uh, but we never talked about that. We never talked about any of that stuff. It was too scary for me to talk to him about that because then I was showing my vulnerability to the God, right? Like, Oh, yeah. this is, you know, it was really complicated for me. So I just had to find my way through it. And, and the more I learned that the audience is on your side and they're rooting for you and that you survive it and you learn and it's no big deal, um, that, uh, that I, I learned that it, is a dance that it really mm -hmm. is an invitation and uh the only way we're ever going to get out of our own way is to 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 leap before we look i mean it really is yeah <laughs> so and that's one of those moments we were talking about earlier where the creativity the creative thing like you, i have an idea like of oh, the line perfectionism kills came mm -hmm. to me and i sat down and that shit just started pouring out of me and those essays i did for my podcast at that time I would just come up with an idea and a little bit of a haunting thing would like, you know, like, Oh, I couple first couple of lines or something like that. But then I would sit down and boom, it would just come out of me. And um, wow. very lucky that way that I, I get to write that way. Sometimes, sometimes my first draft is my best draft. I clean it up, but yeah, uh, I, I just get out of my way is what I do. Beautiful. Yeah. That's a great, that's like one of the best feelings when something like that comes out. Exactly. I will stare at a thing in disbelief when I've done it well and I like it. <laughs> like yeah. who did this? Like yeah. it's such a weird, and it's it is. a it's, weird feeling. It is, it is us. And it's like, but it's us plus, mm -hmm. you know, because I think our self identity, that's the one that's questioning it. Our, our normal ego self identity is going, who wrote that? Right, right. Exactly. Where I'm but, like, that couldn't have been. But Somebody we're actually, in. we're bigger than that. <laughs> We're, yeah. you know, not in a hubris ego way. We're just, we're wider than that. We're deeper than that. We are, we are part of a conversation with life with a capital L, mm -hmm. you know, and, and as a Jungian, you know, I look at the world through the lens of, you know, knowing that there is a collective unconscious. We also share kind of these fields of thought, you know, Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert tells this great story about having this idea for this novel about a pharmaceutical company and it's about South America and it's about an affair between two people in the company and all this kind of stuff. And she like has notes and she goes for it for a while. And then it just kind of, she turns to another project and she works on something else and she turns back to it and it's, she can feel it's gone. The energy has gone. It's not right. there anymore. So she ends up becoming friends with Ann Patchett like five years later and they talk for the first time and she says, well, what are you working on? And Ann describes this novel about a pharmaceutical company uh, in South America wow. and a, a, an affair between two executives. Wow. And Elizabeth Gilbert's like, what? <laughs> like, 
Wait, are you fucking shitting me? Like no one knew about this project. Right. What are you talking about? And Elizabeth Gilbert's like, she really believes and it, it, you know, and there's, and it's not about, it's not magical thinking, believing, but it's mm. about understanding that there are ideas and yeah. they're looking for portals. They're mm. looking to be like, there's stuff in the collective unconscious, just souping around, looking yeah. for some consciousness to connect to, <laughs> you know? And it's like, Oh, I'm open. Hello. Come here. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I don't understand it all, but there is this, dance this conversation there's this great poet named david white w-h-y-t-e he's a welsh poet and he talks about this conversation having the conversation of life and and having it with non-human ego things like the tree you know or you know whatever it is uh right. nature or just whatever and, and or creativity you know that's why they the greeks talked about the muses Oh yeah. They, they saw them as these entities that like had this way of shepherding things towards you because this mm -hmm. is a human experience. Now, Jung explained it as collective unconscious and things like that. There's probably 20 different ways to explain it, but it's about trying to understand this weird human experience we have with this stuff. Right. Yeah, it's a shame when you think of how much that that escapes people because they're too busy, you know, working jobs they hate, not paying attention to the surroundings. Yeah. Like I always think about how many creatives wind up dying in like yeah. just terrible jobs or family, you know, whatever, because we're not given the freedom to do, you know, what we yeah. need to be. That was, that was the thing that was so kind of odd about the, the pandemic and everything like that. It just, I like, I enjoyed seeing what people did with the time. For, mo for yeah. the most part, except for the ones protesting outside of a Fuddruckers to go open. Like, I understand what they did with their time. Uh, <laughs> you're like, those closed in 97. Relax. Um, but <laughs> it's never opening again. Right. Yeah. Probably. That's, yeah, those are gone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was cool to see what people actually wound up doing and what, you know, um, what things they came up with in, in, in crunch time, too. What, what actually, and this is kind of, you know, uh, not, it doesn't sound great, but like watching comedy club owners kind of the ones that are just shitty, but like watching those things fold because they don't have the creative people to back it up and watching us kind of thrive because we're like, well, we're the ones who have this, yeah. this content we and we're willing thing. to produce it. So yeah. we bought equipment and, you know, did what we could with the time that kind of made me value what we do even more or maybe even like coming out of it. I was like, I'm not going to do ABC and D anymore because uh, you know, it gave me, it just gave me a different perspective on it. Yep. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of people have used this time to reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting. Like the restaurant workers, a lot of people went and trained themselves to get better jobs. And that's why yes. restaurants are really hurting because these people went off and actually had enough time to to get and and, and use their unemployment money and use the rescue yes. money to retrain themselves and reeducate themselves. Uh, imagine investing in people like that. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. And I love seeing it too. I mean, I know people get frustrated because they're like, I can't go to my favorite restaurant anymore. And I'm like, well, fucking guess you should have paid them more or, or, or give, yeah. you know, Fought for them to get more money or whatever it is because yeah it's an, it's a shame um i so see you mentioned paul provenza and you produced one of my all-time favorite shows on yeah. stand-ups me too and just stand up the green room i have i've asked him 
when it's coming back. We and I think would love to know. We would, we, every, I'm always tweeting, hey, Netflix, hey, <laughs> Showtime, hey, guys, who's going to pick this up? Because who wouldn't? I mean, it's not like yes. it takes a gazillion freaking dollars to make this right. show. And, you know, it's the best conversation about comedy ever. Absolutely. And it's entertaining and it's informative. We were just watching, I was turning people on to young Bo Burnham because oh. everyone's freaking out about his new special. And I'm like, oh, well, we, had him, on episode the, one, we right? had him on the green room. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was season two. Season two, episode one or episode two? one. It was with okay. Gary, Gary Shandling, yep. Judd, Mark Marin, Mark Marin and Ray Romano. Ray Romano. Yeah. And Judd Apple. Yeah. And, and it was just this, you know, and then there's young Bo who's like, you know, who are you guys again? Who are you yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah. It's just such a great moment. <laughs> and then Gary goes, it's so mutual. <laughs> well, and, yes. And then, but then Gary like really does a Gary thing. Because oh, yeah. Gary, beca Gary became a mentor of mine. Um, really a beautiful friendship we had. Oh, and man. he did that thing that Gary did so well, which he looked him in the eye and just was like, you know, you're authentic. You're just yes. showing up as you. And that's what I'm at my age, you know, always peeling the onion on, like you're already there, mm -hmm. like go, go forth young man and yeah. be authentic. You know, it was just right. a beautiful, beautiful mentoring moment there. Yeah. I, Gary, I love Gary Shandling. The, the relationship that Gary had with your dad, I thought was amazing too. And, uh, and that again, just proves just how nice your dad is because Gary just drove with right. a bunch of material <laughs> and your dad was like, a great story. Yeah, I, I don't I don't use other people's material, but I'll read it. I'll read it. And the How funny great. thing is, he's, he says, uh, "Can you come back tomorrow?" And Gary had just yeah. driven two hours and right. had to drive two hours back. And he's like, "Yeah, sure, yeah, okay. I know." Gets it's so great. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but Gary, that that episode uh, is one of my favorite episodes of all time because everybody's super fucking sharp. They're yeah. they're you know, and Bo's on there, so he's the younger generation representing. But um, God, the just just everybody going back and forth, just the, all the greatest comics. But I loved their conversation about imposter syndrome. Yeah, and I don't. I'm curious what your thoughts on this are, um, especially because of your dad. Just because I feel like the um, earlier generations that your dad was a part of and even before him didn't deal with, did they not deal with that as much? Because I feel like that's a neurosis and kind of yeah, a I don't, neurotic I don't thing. That's such a great question. And I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I would have loved to have asked my dad. I think he did at times. Mm. He did struggle. He did. You know, it's, it's funny. There's a, a story that my dad's manager, Jerry Hamza tells about, uh, us taping Carnegie, Carlin at Carnegie, mm -hmm. and which I think is just a great special from moment yes. one. And we couldn't do a safety show because the unions were so bad, and we had like three hours wow. to set up, and it was a it was a lot of money. And HBO was like, oh, "We're not going to spend two nights doing that." And so my dad had wow. one shot to get it, and my dad walked off the stage and um, burst into tears in the dressing room because he didn't think he'd nailed it. Wow. He thought he had really fucked it up. And um, so there you See have that. It. Yeah, that's that basically answered the question. That's that's crazy, though. I did not know that they didn't do a second because that's a that's I think that special is flawless. I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But once again, his standards very high. Right. Uh, I mean, really high, incredibly high. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, and I do. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think. I don't. 
I wonder if imposter syndrome is just getting worse in, in, in the culture in general, just because, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, the biggest thing I work with women all the time and I'm a life coach for, for women and mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is one of the, usually like eight out of 10 women I work with, they have it. They right. mention it in the first call uh, with them and perfectionism and they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They really go hand in hand. And uh, because the imposter syndrome is, well, who am I? Right. Who am I to do this? And it's like, yeah, but you know, the, the fun, the, 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 the weird thing about that is that, well, who aren't you? Like that no one was born. I mean, if, if you really think, well, I am the one, then you probably have like a personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> like you're Donald Trump or something because right. you have this kind of prophetic, like, you know, narcissistic, I am this fucking center of the universe kind of personality disorder. Right. And, and so we're, you know, I think that who am I is a, like we talked about it earlier is a, is a, is a good natural humbling, mm -hmm. but it's when that voice gets too loud and it's the only voice running the show, then yeah, you're paralyzed and you're stuck because right. who, who am I really to do this? Uh, and the reality is, is that every single person had to learn how to do what they're an expert at. So whoever you see, yeah, there's some natural talent involved maybe or a natural gift, but there's a ton of craft involved also. Sure. A huge amount of craft in any field you go into. Mm -hmm. You know, you may be a whiz kid at 20, a tennis thing or a this or that or whatever. But, you know, if you want to stay the long haul, if you want to be successful in the long run, if you want to be all of that, you need to know how to pivot, know how to change, know how to evolve, you know, learn yeah. new skills, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's. I need to write about that a little bit more because it is a really fascinating thing. And it is a dance partner with perfectionism for sure. Yeah. When you said that, I realized the same, you're, you're absolutely right. It totally is. They go hand in hand and yeah. it's, and it's frustrating too, I think, cause I feel like it may be more like, I think about that all the time. Cause I always think about the impact social media winds up having on everybody. Yeah. I, I mean, think it's, yeah. Yeah. And the internet's what, like 40 years old. I mean, that's still a baby in, in its existence. So we have no idea what the effects of it are going to be, but it's always like, like even within, uh, people we know personally, like family members that are like, I always find it weird that like a grandparent has social media and then follows their granddaughter. Cause I'm like, there is shit you are not meant to see. Yeah. And yeah. there's, and there's also like, I think the way we get along, even in family settings, sometimes is based on assumption your grandparents are assuming you're a you're certain a way you're a good kid <laughs> yes and, and they assuming, like you yeah and you're assuming that your grandfather wasn't a prick at work <laughs> exactly exactly and then as soon as you have social media you're like i don't think i like them exactly yeah <laughs> yeah it is it, that, that whole exposure thing and that whole yeah. tmi it's all TMI. The fucking internet yeah. is TMI, man. <laughs> God, we are not meant. To, it's just, it's so funny to me. We're we, not meant we to. We're literally not wired for it. And yeah, so yeah. we are overwhelmed. I'm I'm convinced that more than just being over 50, you know, all my, most of my friends are over 50. Mm -hmm. um, that, and that because it's getting younger and younger is people are forgetting like the names of people and yes. words and, you know, things I was like, sh I was sharp, man. I was a <laughs> sharp person. I had a, I had a steel trap brain and all mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff. And I am a bag of fucking mush now. I'm like, <laughs> 
I don't know. Uh, yep. And so we we now do a little thing when we're around our friends. We're like, okay, mm. we're not looking it up. We're yes. gonna figure. There's six of us here. Oh. We're gonna figure this out together. <laughs> damn it. All I right. What else was she in? And we're like yes. figuring out this yes. actor's name. Yes, I love that. <laughs> we'll do that all the time. Where I'm like, no one yeah. touch a thing. No, we're not looking. <laughs> damn it. Not and then you win. finally remember it's like Shirley MacLaine, and your head <laughs> bounces off the desk. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the last thing you remember that night. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh man, yeah, it's it's insane. And the, I did that the other day. I was uh, going somewhere, and I had it on the GPS, and I went to the wrong place because there were two of them. And I didn't, I just kept, and it was, my friend was just like, but didn't you notice the landmarks and the, where you were no, driving? And I was like, no, uh-uh, uh, no, I just no, looked my, at this. My brain is gone. It's shut off. I didn't, I wasn't landmark driving. Landmark driving's different. <laughs> GPS driving I is, I tell me when to turn. I'm turning so in great. 50 feet. I'm turning in 50 feet. Yes, landmark driving yeah. is, where's that 7-Eleven again? Oh, there's the 7-Eleven. I see it up ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, landmark. That's fucking hilarious. I love that. I never thought I'd call it that before, but that is that is so true. Yeah, I just follow the thing, and then my brain gets to think about all dumb shit, nothing important, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. And then I wind and, up oh, where I'm I supposed was, to be. I was so against GPSs at the front. I remember at the beginning of GPS, I would get into <laughs> friends' cars, and they'd be like, "Oh, let me put it in the GPS," and I'm like, "What? You can't remember <laughs> how to get to the, you know?" And and I yeah. was like, you know, a Thomas a Thomas guide person in LA. And I was mm. always the kid who read the maps. I was an only kid. So I read the maps when we were on the road with my dad and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so I was like, you know, a great map reader and all of that. Mm. And, and really prided myself in it. And now I'm like, we get in the car, I drive my husband crazy. I'm like, I'm getting on ways. Ways will tell us the fastest way yes. to get there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Ways is, like, ways is amazing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going on ways. Sorry. I'm going on ways. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I just, I've completely surrendered that whole part of my personality to this device who will just get me there quicker because I live in LA and I fucking don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I remember being terrified. The only time I was terrified of Waze was when I moved out to LA and I was going to the comedy store and I was like, I'm going to use Waze. And it took me through the fucking hills. And I, I mean, I, I was driving through neighborhoods, careening down fucking streets. And, and it, it was, it's, I, I, that was like I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna die up here. I don't know where I am. And like rich <laughs> rich people were looking at me, disgusting. Because I you know I'm gonna die in Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like because it, it took me up all the way up to get around and then come down. I thought you, know, you were gonna yeah, say he, Compton or something of that nature. You like, no, yeah, no, he, no. He was he was like in Coldwater Canyon or something. <laughs> but I thought I was gonna fall off the mountain. Yeah, like, I didn't and, know if there were railings. And that's the thing, too, is back in the day, 35 years ago, us locals, we knew all the shortcuts. Right. And, you know, and my friend even wrote a book called Shortcuts. And then the traffic got so bad that, you know, even Mm. starting 25, 20 years ago, it's like, there's no more shortcuts. Everyone knows fucking to take cold water. (laughs) Everyone knows to do all that stuff. And and now it's like, you know, fucking ways, you know, you can tell when you're in the little line of ways people because you're like, oh, we're all taking a right on this obscure street <laughs> to get from LAX to Beverly Hills. No one else would ever take a right on the street. But yep. four of us are because we're all on ways <laughs> together. Yeah. It's like when you when it says that there's a cop up ahead and like 16 cars in front of you all slow down. And like, oh, OK. Uh-huh. still there still yep. there still there <laughs> doing my job 
doing it's my job. A, I'm, I'm, I, I'm feeding the collective, feeding the oh, collective. I love ratting on cops that are on ways. That is my favorite. <laughs> Sometimes I would, I would be on my bike around my neighborhood. I would just be like, oh, <laughs> you're welcome, citizens. That's right. I'm doing my duty. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, rebel, the rebel forces. Yeah. <laughs> I am part of the rebellion. <laughs> oh my god! Using this Google activated, you know, spy <laughs> device that's following me, but I'm a member of the rebellion. Oh my god! I know there's so much shit that I love that people think they're getting vaccinated means they're getting tracked, and it's just it that kills me. That kills me. I'm like, you're uh, typing on something. I mean, yeah. everybody says it, but it's meanwhile just... when you get into your car, your phone's like, you're eight minutes from home. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. That's exactly uh, where I'm going. I, I had a great thought the other day. I, I'm going to share it with you guys. I, I haven't written it about this yet, but um, I, of course I sent it to myself so I could remember it. Nice. And this is my definition of liberty mm -hmm. now because it was the 4th of July. It was that kind of a weekend. So my definition of liberty in America is the freedom to fuck it up for everyone else. <laughs> Pretty much what liberty is. Right. That's so great. And then I thought, so then I thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, so then if that's the definition of liberty, what would be the definition of equality? And the definition of equality is, and this is rough, I'm just rough drafting mm -hmm. it here, is that everyone gets the same chance to fuck it up for everyone else. <laughs> that's the true definition of equality. We all get the same chance to fuck it up for everyone else. And then justice, I'm still working on justice. Mm -hmm. uh, the definition of justice is that everyone gets a chance to stop the person who's fucking it up for everyone else. Oh, that's fucking beautiful. I love it. That's so true. God damn. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna, crazy. I'm going to be thinking about that for like days. Now. <laughs> yeah, now, now he's going to like, he's going to like screenshot that. No, I'm just kidding. And, and not give you the quote for it. <laughs> he's going to do what other people do to him. I, all of a sudden you see me, I'm wearing it on a t-shirt. I'm like, wearing a t-shirt. like, what the fuck? <laughs> is that my face? What? It's cut out of the interview later, mysteriously. There's like a, just a block missing. <laughs> like, wow, that looks like it was poorly edited. What happened there? <laughs> Kelly said something brilliant and I took it. <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry, I don't know. She froze. She froze. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just replaced it with an out of, out of, out of thought clip from Ed Asner from earlier. <laughs> Talking about aliens. Yeah, or telling Mike Farrell they can go fuck himself. <laughs> I told him, I go, Mike Farrell, I, I interviewed Mike Farrell on the show. I said, Mike Farrell said to say hello, and he loves you, and you're a good guy. And he just goes, fuck him. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, my God. I know. This is too good. Um, so I've kept you. I, so I said I would keep you for an hour. I don't know if you have a hard out, but I could we keep going, or I could I could yeah, let I do. you go. I'm gonna, my husband, my husband, I, and, my husband and I are going to eat some I, dinner soon. So awesome. Well, then let me ask you this. I ask everybody this before they go. If you had um, one piece of advice you could tell your younger self now, what would it be? Don't marry Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know what that means, but I. Read my book. Read okay, my book. I, ab I absolutely will. Don't marry Andrew. That I'm Don't putting on a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been a blast talking to you. I'm so happy to meet you. 
Yes, Thank you guys for having me. It was an absolute blast to be here and uh, really great, great, great fun conversation. Thank you so ah, much. Thanks so much. Take care. Dystopia Tonight.